Hello and welcome to the Top of the D podcast. I'm Ross Bone, aka the Top of the D, and here's what's coming up. Four star Forsyth destroys Holcomb as Surbiton go big. Holcomb's women break Surbiton's unbeaten start in the Investec Women's Premier Division. Old Georgian's embarrassment of riches explained. And Danny Kerry looks to youth and Barry Middleton to bring England World Cup glory. All this and more coming up. So without further ado, let's get cracking. But before we get into all that, it's time for the first clue in this week's Who Am I quiz. Um, If you're new to the game, um, as the name suggests, I give you three clues over the course of the show, um, which will hopefully lead you to the identity of a mystery hockey player. Uh, The clues get more obvious as the show goes on, so if you get it on the first one, you've done really well. Anyway, uh, here is today's first clue. I started my club career at Belper Hockey Club and I've won 146 international caps since making my international debut in 2013. That clue again, I started my club career at Belper Hockey Club and have won 146 international caps since making my debut in 2013. Um, If you've got that already, well done. If not, Don't worry, another clue coming up very shortly. 18 new signings, including Ashley Jackson, Dan Shingles, Dan Fox, Ed Carson and Sam Ward. Six wins out of seven league games, 40 goals scored. Old Georgians have certainly ruffled a few feathers in the East Conference this season. Um, It's fair to say that With that much transfer business, um, they are really taking things seriously. Inevitably, with the profile and the number of players coming in, um, the hockey world is awash with a mixture of uh, interest, curiosity, wailing and gnashing of teeth, accusations of buying success and so on. Um, It's nothing new. We've seen this sort of reaction to clubs like Holcomb, for example, in the past, um, spending some money on players. So it's not a surprise. Um, But I thought, given the amount of sort of uh, discussion it's caused out there in hockey land, um, it's only fair to go to the source and speak to someone from Old Georgians. So um, their coach, Mike Hughes, took some time out to talk to me so I could find out whether they do a really good post-match tea at OG's or if there's something else drawing these players into coming and playing for the club. Uh, here's what he had to say. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. First thing, obviously, uh, it's been a great start to the season for you guys, so you must be happy with, with how it's gone so far. Yeah, yeah, no, 
Yeah, the boys have the boys have responded really well to uh, to some of the new ideas that we're putting across. Um, we had a uh, you know a real concentrated effort to bring across some some good guys this year, um, and they've they've responded well. They're they're in a, a really good place and working hard for each other. Um, you know, solving some solving some problems as groups and uh, yeah, no, so the results seem to be going well. But more importantly, they they seem to be learning and improving game on game. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it, from looking at the EH website, you brought in 18 new players since the end of last season. So are you surprised at how quickly they've gelled and it sort of clicked into place? Um, I think I am, but I always knew that when I looked at the squad and I looked at what my role was this year, it's it, it's a case of uh, empowering these players. You know, you've got some fantastic leaders there and even... You know, the Irish boys coming across that, that are playing, there's, you know, there's some great leaders within that group and they all bring their own thing. But, um, you know, people like Tommy Samuel, people like Dan Fox, Tyndall, uh, Shingles, just to name but a few. And obviously the, the, the captain, uh, Titch, they're all, they're all leaders. So, you know, you can empower them. You've got, I've got an idea of how I want the guys to play. Um, there's going to be problems along the way. And, and so long as we're all communicating and they're solving these problems, then we're, you know, we're in a good place. And obviously with that sort of recruitment and with the profile of some of the players you've brought in, the elephant in the room is always going to be how you've managed to acquire these players. So are they incentivised to come and join the club? Um, they certainly are. We, 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 have, we have very supportive sponsors. Um, you know, we, we are an old boys club as well. You've got to remember that. We're, we're very, very young, uh, being founded in 1995. But... Um, the sponsors that are there are, are, are certainly looking after the players and how they want to do that is is, is down to them, really. Um, but also, we, we do have old boys. You know, we do have old boys. Let's not forget that, uh, as I say, that Tom Doran, um, Elliot Messam, James Tyndall, uh, Matt Ming, all fantastic hockey players. Uh, ben Rooney's been playing this year as well. They're all they're all old boys of the school, so it's great to see that that network can, can bring the players back to play as well. So the fact that sort of um, the the finance is coming from sort of several different sources does does that make it sort of slightly more uh, perhaps sustainable than if it was just one person like we've seen with clubs in the past? <clears throat> that's, a, that's a brilliant word. Um, the you know the club has this the club has a five year plan. Um, there was a lot of hashtags going on over the summer on social media about this five year plan, and I think what we'd like to do is. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have been exposed to a few uh, programs, should we say, across Europe, and we want to take the best bits of each, but we do fundamentally want to make it sustainable um, in years to come. Yeah, certainly. So uh, I think there's, let's say there's a couple of families that, that help out that, were, that are all boys at the school, um, and the aim is to make it sustainable, but much like the Hampstead model a few years ago, there's there's different ways, and the Holcomb model, there's different ways to grow a club, and this is this is the way we're looking to try and do it. So what are the sort of the short-term and, and long-term aims of the club, and, and how are you kind of hoping that to sustain things in the future? I think the, uh, the short-term aims, we, we, we actually want to obviously finish in the top four this year, um, assuming it is still top four, uh, to be a national Div 1 next year as, as, the, as the leagues come back together. Um, we set out and had a wonderful chat with the chairman and his son in the, in the summer and we, we said within three years we'd love to be uh, Premier League uh, and then within five years we're looking to try and get uh, looking 
at the possibility of, of getting off the, the school site at St George's College and maybe moving on to a, a different site with our own clubhouse uh, and, and pitches. So that would be definitely the, the five-year aim, how that how that changes, you know, that's, I guess uh, is, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But that's certainly the, uh, the long-term goal is to, is to see how we can challenge for the Premier League in, a, in three to five years um, with our own pitch and with our own clubhouse, certainly. And uh, obviously, you know, once once uh, the sort of the big names started arriving, um, you see all these well placed sources on the internet stating how much each player's on and how much is offered to other players and so on. Does does that annoy you when you sort of see or hear that? Um, I think it just brings us closer. If I'm honest, we haven't been through similar things at Holcombe in my time there. It's. Uh, you just you can but laugh and it just kind of it goes on the whatsapp group and um you know and people will talk and i don't have a problem with that at all um you know any any media we have is it's kind of good media coverage at the moment um and it's it's all the numbers them quoting are ludicrous as they always are but you know these people will talk and and that's and that's fine so it doesn't annoy me um it's just, as I say, as a group, it then brings us closer together, I guess, if everyone uh, dislikes us a little bit more. So, there you go. <laughs> and then, you know, you mentioned sort of the criticism that Holcomb received in the past for sort of a paid approach, and now old Georgian's doing it's ruffled a few feathers. And why why do you think that is, that, that it upsets people? And, and do you see attitudes changing um, in the sort of domestic hockey game anytime soon? Um... We, we play this beautiful amateur sport is, is the way we look at it or we used to look at it and um, and with the advent of you know the central program that, that the players do require another another form of income really um, I guess the major question is is how do we then as you said how do we then make this this whole thing sustainable um, different clubs do different things you know they offer different incentives for players uh, and uh, who are we to say which model is correct and which model is incorrect? It's just a different way to run things. So, um, so yeah. So, do you, could you see a situation where these different models become accepted and and the Premier League becomes a professional, you know, self-sustained league, like say the, the Dutch league or, or some of the other leagues in Europe? I mean, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Um, I guess, I guess, only time will tell. It's it's down to. We just need to, to learn our lessons, I guess, from, uh, you know, have a look at, at, at some of the some of the clubs on the continent, maybe, see how they're making it work. And that's that's definitely our aim at, at Old Georgians to, you know, to, to take these ideas from other clubs, see what they're doing, see how we can implement them within our structure. Um, and then will it ever be accepted? Uh, I'm not too sure, but... Um, but, yeah, the, you know, our, <laughs> I guess our aim here is to, let's be honest, is to... It's to produce the best possible Great Britain men's side, um, and if we can do things like this that allow the players to train a bit more professionally, they don't have to go out and, and, and work as as longer hours as they do at schools and in coaching. Then, then we'll certainly help them. So um, some interesting thoughts from uh, from Mike there. Um, you know, it's a it's a topic that 
that really divides sort of the hockey public in this country. Um, I thought it was interesting that he explained that the finance isn't necessarily coming from one source, which is sort of the model we've seen at other clubs before. Um, it's coming from a number of different sponsors who are looking after individual players, which um, obviously is a model that a lot of lower league football clubs use, um, where each player has individual sponsors who take care of them. So it's not a new approach in sport, and it's certainly not um, not something that, that you, you know, is reinventing the wheel. Um Personally, I I don't have a huge issue with uh, players being paid. Um, at the end of the day, um, a lot more clubs than you probably realise are paying or incentivising players. It's not new, it's been going on for years, and I don't imagine it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, I remember speaking to Jason Lee about this many moons ago, uh, when he was the Great Britain men's coach, and... Uh, him saying to me that he would rather his players were able to concentrate solely on being hockey players and earning their living through the sport, concentrating on playing and training and becoming better players, rather than having to do other jobs alongside their hockey to make ends meet. Um, I think that's a really excellent point, and uh, it's also one I've heard echoed by a number of different players when this topic comes up. Um, Obviously, in this country, we we have um the central program model, um where we have sort of um thirty men and thirty women who are centrally contracted athletes who are paid to be professional hockey players. Um, that's a very demanding life, and um whilst they are paid by that central program, they're not exactly making a fortune from it. And as Jason Lee said, as I've mentioned earlier on, you want your players to be focusing on training conditioning recovery skills rather than having sort of dash here there and everywhere doing three or four coaching jobs or or different day jobs you know to to make ends meet because essentially that can detract from from getting the best out of their hockey um i understand there's always going to be fierce opposition to this sort of thing um, especially from clubs who aren't paying players um, and who are trying to compete with clubs that are. Obviously, it's not um, it's not an even playing field. Um, but essentially, I, I don't think it's fair for us to expect players to turn down the chance to make their living from the sport. Let's face it, we all love the game. And if someone offered me money to turn up to training a couple of times a week and to play on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'd bite their hand off. Um, I think one of the other points to make is that um, at the moment our domestic league isn't professional like some of the other leagues in Europe, you know, the Dutch league being a uh, a prime example of that. And um, until our domestic league improves and becomes more competitive and moves towards that sort of more professional model... Um, we're always going to need the central programme to allow us to compete on a world stage and to allow us to develop players to the requisite quality to take on the best teams in the world. It might not be a perfect system, and I know it has its critics, but ultimately it did deliver an Olympic gold medal in the last cycle, so it can't be all bad. Um, I think hockey is... 
We're coming to a point where it's going to be at a bit of a crossroads. Um, Not dissimilar to what Rugby Union went through many moons ago when it became a professional sport. Um, you know, there are very many parallels between the two where the haves and the have-nots before the professionalisation of the game. Um, on the one hand, at this crossroads, we can keep doing what we're already doing, stick with the amateur game with a handful of top-class players centrally contracted um, and we can see if there's any mileage you know, in, in, in keeping to that, that model. And nothing will change, and we'll probably have a situation where, you know, uh, clubs or some clubs pay, some clubs don't, some clubs compete, some clubs don't, and nothing really changes. The other side of that coin is that, um, you know, it'll take some disruption, probably upset a few people on the way there, but is there any mileage in having more professional teams across the board with hopefully more players earning their living playing and training? Um, the idea behind that being that those players are focused solely on hockey, which hopefully leads to a better quality of domestic competition because there are a better quality of players competing in that competition. And then that therefore gives us um, a better chance to compete on a world stage because we have a larger pool of talented players to choose from for the national side. Um, Obviously, it won't happen overnight, and I've massively oversimplified that. There will be a number of roadblocks and a number of... uh, problems and, and you know things to overcome and I know loads of people will disagree with me on this but that's okay um, that's my two pennies worth on the subject um, but I'd love to know what you think I'm probably going to get absolute pelters for this but um, get in touch via Twitter I'm on at the top of the D um, if you want to um, put your opinion across about the professional versus amateur model in this country I'm also on Facebook now, so look out for the top of the D on there. Get in touch and let me know what you think. Well, after all that seriousness, um, let's uh, lighten it up a little bit and uh, take it back to our Who Am I quiz. Um, Here is today's second clue. I have an economics degree from the University of Sheffield and outside of hockey I work as a management accountant at DEFRA. That clue again. I have an economics degree from the University of Sheffield and outside of hockey I work as a management accountant at DEFRA. I reckon that might have given it away for a few people. Uh, Well done if you've got that. There is one more clue to come so don't worry if you haven't. So it's time now to take our weekly look at the Investec Women's Premier League. Um, only one place to start, really. The top of the table clash between Holcombe and Surbiton down there in Kent at Holcombe Park. Holcombe ran out 1-0 winners thanks to uh, Candice Manuel's second half strike. That was quite a nice goal, which started out with uh, Steph Elliott throwing the lesser-spotted square eel out. Uh, move up the line down the left-hand side, crossed in and nicely finished by Candice Manuel. Um, obviously, um, Surbiton were depleted by having a number of players away with uh, Great Britain for the Champions Trophy. Um, but such is the depth of their squad. Um, it's still a great result from Holcombe. Um, it was quite a tight game. 
but ultimately Holcomb converted one of their chances and uh, Surbiton didn't. And um, it does mean that the gap at the top of the table has been close to three points, whereas last week it looked like at six points clear Surbiton were going to get away. Um, Holcomb have sort of reeled them in that little bit and, uh, you know, will be in hot pursuit for the rest of the season. Um, Elsewhere... Buckingham back in third place thanks to Natasha James's winner against Slough. A 1-0 win for Buckingham there. Another great result for them as it nudges them ahead of East Grinstead but also keeps them in touch with Holcomb in second place. Um, we've spoken earlier on in the season about how it's you know shaping up to be another great campaign for them and they're looking good for that top four at the end of the season and uh, they're really making great strides in establishing themselves as, as a, a genuine top four contender season after season uh Clifton Robinsons what can you say about them um a couple of weeks ago regular listeners will know a couple of weeks ago I I called on them to to score more goals I said that their lack of goals was was going to be their undoing and 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 prove to be their downfall so uh last week they scored four and won four one this week they scored four again a fantastic win for them. They beat University of Birmingham 4-2. And uh, Claire Thomas, um, who got a hat-trick the previous week, uh, she nabbed two more, and she is now the league's top scorer with six, which includes five goals in her last two games. So she's absolutely on fire, and uh, the silent assassins are on the rise. They're headed towards the top end of the table, and they're absolutely flying. Um Bowden Hightown picked up a superb three points with a 1-0 win over East Grinstead thanks to Rosie Bailey's third goal of the season. Um, I actually went to this game to have a look for myself. Um, had an unexpected Saturday off and so popped down to have a watch. Um, I had to say I was really impressed with how Bowden defended. Um, I thought Sam Quek um, was excellent. Um, thought she really marshaled the defence well. Her tackling was absolutely superb, and uh, she charged out the back a few times to set some uh, attacks going as well. And she she looked absolutely brilliant. Jane Donnelly looked solid in that back four alongside her, and Jules Whiting was her usual combative and, and tenacious self. Um, Bowden limited East Grinstead, who were missing Sophie Bray, of course, um, to minimal chances. Um, so, as I say, it was a really impressive defensive display from Bowden. Um, I think I've mentioned a few players that stood out, but I, I have to say I thought the best player on the pitch for me was Sean French in the high town midfield. Um, I was really impressed with how she controlled the middle of the park. Um, she broke the play up when she needed to. She made tackles when she needed to. Um, she retained possession really, really well. And um, she managed the game. When, when Bowden needed calm heads, she was the one getting on the ball, keeping possession, winning free hits, running the clock down. And um, yeah, it was a really, really superb performance from her. I thought she was absolutely outstanding. Um, um, Anya Curran hit the crossbar with what could have been one of the goals of the season. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on galvanised Monday night hockey and I believe they're going to be throwing that clip out on their social media in the next couple of days. So, yeah, a, a fantastic individual effort that she's really unlucky to hit the crossbar and not find the net. Um, but all in all, Hightown well worth the win. A, a very impressive performance from them. Um 
what that does is that that cuts Canterbury adrift a little bit at the foot of the table. Um, the gap is now three points um, after they lost out to Beeston. Um, the Bees are looking really impressive in their first season back in the top flight. You know, headed towards the top end of the table and um, you know really showing that they can mix it with the top teams. But Canterbury are starting to look in real trouble. I mean, luckily for them. The gap is by no means insurmountable, um, but they have Surbiton this weekend, which obviously is not the sort of game you want when you're desperate for a win. And, um, you know, they're going to need to make sure that that gap doesn't get too big um, between them and, and the rest of the pack so they can hopefully dig themselves out of it. now time for the third and final clue in this week's who am i quiz if you haven't got it already i reckon this one will give it away um so here is the third and final clue i have a european gold medal which i won in 2015 and in 2017 i was player of the tournament at the european championships um, an Olympic gold medal is also in my collection from 2016, where I scored the winner in the shootout in the final. That clue again, I have a European gold medal from 2015 and a player of the tournament award from the same competition in 2017. And I also have an Olympic gold medal in my collection where I scored the winner in the shootout in the final in Rio in 2016. I reckon that'll do the trick, but in case you haven't got it, the answer is coming up before the end of the show. So now we uh, turn our attention to the men's premier division. And it's as you were at the top of the table, with Hampstead and Westminster and Surbiton matching each other stride for stride, both picking up three points, and Surbiton just ahead on goal difference. Um, you've got to look at Surbiton first, um, after they hammered third place Holcombe 6-1, thanks in part to four goals from who else? Alan Forsyth. Um, Holcombe actually took the lead in the first minute through Nick Banderak. But after that, Surbiton swarmed all over them and they scored some really beautiful team goals. Um, Forsyth's fourth, actually, was um, a beautiful solo effort. Um, but the rest of the goals were real team efforts. Um, Forsyth now has 16 goals in eight games this season, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and it was a really impressive all-round display from them and they look in really ominous form. Um, Hampstead and Westminster's win wasn't quite so routine, but still a, a useful three points nonetheless. Um, my mates at Brooklands were beaten 5-4, um, and Hampstead did actually survive a final whistle penalty corner, which was taken four times, and they held on to get the job done. Um, I spoke to a, someone I know at Brooklands who said... Uh, Brooklyn's did well to get themselves back into the game, but essentially the difference was Hampstead were more consistent throughout the game all over the pitch and uh, said Quan Brown was still absolutely first class and, you know, made a massive difference. Um, so it's tough on Brooklyn's to go all that way and uh, score four goals and, and come home with nothing, but that Hampstead machine keeps on rolling. Um Holcomb stay third despite that heavy defeat. Um, fourth place is now occupied by Beeston. 
who drew one all with Reading in what looked like a, a well-matched contest, which uh, a draw seemed about right from what I saw. Uh, Wimbledon are still at the wrong end of the table. They lost. Uh, they lost a three-nil lead um, away at East Grinstead and ended up losing four-three. Um, really tough to on Wimbledon. They're really not having things their way this season. Um, they were three-nil up, and uh, Ed Haller had a a really good chance to make it four-nil, but it was denied by a fine save from Paddy Smith, and that seemed sort of the catalyst to tie, uh, turn the tide. Uh, thereafter, East Grinstead sort of gradually crept back into it, and before you know, I mean, you've we've all played in one of those games where you can see the momentum shifting, but there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And uh, in the end, um, there was almost an inevitability about Rory Patterson's penalty corner, which clinched it for a four-three win for East Grinstead. Um, it's been really tough for Wimbledon so far, and you know they're one of the pre-season. Um, favourites if you like certainly one of the teams expected to be up there in the top four um, but they've um, they've they've sort of struggled a bit basically because they've lost their forward line so Simon Mantell isn't playing Phil Ball has moved to London Wayfarers to be player coach Johnny Kinder is uh, playing in Spain and uh, Ed Haller is uh, doing his best to sort of shoulder the goal-scoring burden, but um, it's weighing heavily on him. And uh, basically, the the person I spoke to said to me that Wimbledon will be involved in some close games um, as a result of basically not being able to score as many goals as they used to. Um, time will tell how it goes from here. The final game of the weekend is a big one at the bottom as University of Exeter welcomed Seven Oaks to the Nando's Arena. And they pulled off their first win of the season, a 3-2 win that leaves Seven Oaks bottom of the table and uh, draws X to level on points with Wimbledon and uh, one behind Brooklands. Um, obviously, that's you know it's tough for Seven Oaks. You know, again, they're having quite a, a hard season. But you have to say that that's been coming. Um, Exeter have played well in a lot of their games this season. They've been close in a number of their matches, so it's not a huge shock to see them pick up a win at last. Um, the confidence that that'll give them will obviously be crucial for them, because um, no matter how well you play week on week, the longer you go without winning, the harder it gets gets to get that win. So to get their mon- that monkey off their back is huge, and um, they'll they'll draw nothing but confidence from that. Um, they're away at Reading this weekend, um, the most unpredictable side in the league, and I'm sure uh, Exeter will be hoping that Reading have an off day and they can take advantage and get their second win of the season. <laughs> So I'm sure it will not have escaped your notice that uh, this week Danny Kerry named his England World Cup squad. Um, The 18 athletes plus two reserves were unveiled to the public and just 42 days after their senior debuts, Zach Wallace, the 18-year-old from Surbiton, and Jack Waller, the 21-year-old from Wimbledon, are both on the plane. Uh, They've got fewer than 10 caps each, 
But Wallace picked up the man of the match against Belgium in the anniversary international couple of months back. And Waller has played in a Junior World Cup, won the Sultan of Johor Cup. And uh, they've both clearly impressed Danny Kerry in his short time working with the squad. Um, So, yeah. Two really exciting young players included in Danny Kerry's England squad. Um, There are some high-profile names who have missed out. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would have been expecting to see Henry Weir in there, David Goodfield maybe, Chris Griffiths, um, just a couple of examples. Um, It's a clean slate and a new coach and a... You know, Danny Kerry has a pretty good idea what he's doing when it comes to hockey coaching. Um, So as disappointing as it is for those players that have missed out, it's going to be a really interesting tournament for those players that are on the plane. Um, England will take on China in their first game before facing the holders Australia and then Ireland. Um, You'd expect them to beat China and then it's two absolute battles which will be really, really tough games. Um, Danny Kerry's played down England's chances in a lot of the media saying they'll try to spring a surprise and they'll try to shock the other teams. Um, But, you know, the... It remains to be seen where they are. We really have absolutely no idea what to expect from this England team because it's so early on in in Danny Kerry's tenure. Um, But, you know, basically the format of the tournament is if they top their group, they go straight through to the quarterfinals. If they finish second or third, they'll play a crossover match before then hopefully making their way into the quarterfinals. Um, It's a really tough group. Um, two teams that will absolutely love to beat England in Ireland and Australia. And uh, obviously Australia, you know, top-class outfit every single time. Ireland did beat England twice in a recent Four Nations tournament. But as I said, um, given Danny Kerry's short time in charge, um, it's really hard to know what to expect from England, but it is really exciting. Um, anyway, enough of uh, me rambling on about it. You probably want to hear from Danny Kerry himself. So here he is. So first and foremost, you've announced your squad and all set for the World Cup. How are you feeling going into the competition? Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's quite exciting in my second World Cup. Uh, so personally, my second World Cup in a short space of time, and that's... that's uh, high workload um, however the fellows have been fantastic in terms of their openness and willingness to try um, and that's really made it a really enjoyable experience over the last uh, eight weeks and um, the squad you've announced got uh, I think it's 13 players who have never competed at a World Cup um, was that something that you're aware of and, and is that something that um, that worries you at all um, so we basically picked what we felt was the best 18 um, rather than looking to the future, so the, the inclusions of the likes of uh, Zach, Wallace, Jack Waller, etc., is because they've been the best players, um, and that has then led to you know a number of them not being to the World Cup before. Um, does it concern me? I think you always uh, something like a World Tournament. You you like experience, but equally you pick you pick your best team available at the time, and, and that was the best team. And um, you've obviously mentioned the inclusion of um, Zach Wallace and, and Jack Waller, who you know only uh, both got fewer than ten caps, and that'll obviously draw plenty of attention. Um, what what do they add to the team, and, and what have they done that's really caught your eye since they've come in? Uh, 
Well, I mean, Jack Waller is a, a very, what I would call, what you call a modern player. So he, he can play across multiple lines. He's very comfortable on the ball um, and can end up in all positions and be comfortable in those positions. Um, so his sort of game intellect, skills on the ball, his defensive understanding, and therefore his all-round game is, is very good. Um, and he has a good temperament as well. Uh, and then Zach Wallace um, brings you know, real energy and pace uh, uh, in, in a, from attacking midfield position and from up front. Um, like it's the kind of you know, pace is, is a dangerous commodity. Uh, I'm looking forward to him using that at the World Cup. And, and on the flip side to those two, Barry Middleton is going into his fourth World Cup, which is obviously a great achievement. Um, what's it like having a player like Barry in your squad? Um, I, I've been really fortunate in the, in the years I've been involved in the national teams to work with, you know, the likes of Alex Dunstan, Kate Richard Walsh, Holly Webb, um, and now Barry Middleton. They're just truly world-class individuals. Um, it's not just what you see on the pitch in a match, but also what they bring to every training session, what they bring off of the pitch, how they talk to the other players, um, the standards they set and everything. And Barry, you know, I, I literally, he is world-class in every respect um, and would, and would I undoubtedly play in any team in the world. So uh, it's been a real privilege for me to work with Barry. And then you've obviously had to leave out a few um, players that have been in plenty of squads before been to a lot of tournaments. I mean, how hard was it to arrive at those decisions and, and how hard is it to break it to players that maybe thought they'd be going? Yeah, so obviously there are a number of people who played in the first half of this cycle to major tournaments, so someone like Brendan. Uh, and, and that's been very tough. Um, those guys have trained hard, um, they've been diligent and unfortunately just with a new squad and a new way we've been playing it's, it's created some pressure um, within within the lines uh, and so some sort of you know names that have been established have have not been selected I think big picture really big picture it's, it's good that um, players um, understand that it's, you know this is a national team you, you've got to be outstanding to, to make the side and and you've got to be trying to progress your game rather than you know just be comfortable that you're a regular um, and yeah it's unfortunate my first major station is a world cup but it you know it sets the tone for, for the rest of the time and then you've got three really different tests in your pool matches with Australia, China and Ireland. Um, how, how are you going to approach the games and, and having to adapt to those different styles? Well, China we know nothing about. Um, they didn't go to the Asian Games and they didn't go to the Asian Champions Trophy. So um, for me, it's, uh, it sits well with my coaching philosophy because the players are going to have to self-organise out on the pitch and understand what China do defensively and what they do offensively and then uh, sort that themselves on the pitch. Um, then we play Australia. Um, they've really changed the nature of their game, so they they sit very deep. Um, and they've been very successful at this first half of the cycle. They always have the capacity to come and press higher, but they've played traditionally deeper in this cycle, and so that that brings a new a new challenge for us. Um, but equally, I always say to the to any team I coach, um, the opposition's uh, threats also become you have to understand the opportunities that those threats uh, may present us. So rather than fixating on the threat, understand the threat, mitigate the threat, but then look at the opportunity that the way they play presents. And so we'll be going into that game 
been I was very impressed with Ireland when I watched them play in Valencia. Um, very good side, exceptionally experienced side. Um, very good players. So yeah, that will be a humdinger of a match. And um, you know, you've obviously not been um, in charge of the squad for very long. So um, have you been able to sort of set some targets and some goals for the World Cup? And, and if so, are you willing to share what those might be? <laughs> So yeah, so essentially in eight weeks, I've been sort of involved for eight weeks, which is you know very little time. Um, and we have had a discussion around what our uh, you know goals are. Essentially, we have going to have to play exceptionally well to get out of the group, and, and uh, beyond that, we'll then reset. So it's about doing the job to get out of the group, um, and then reset. So you're not going in sort of saying we want to win a medal or win the whole thing. It's very much take it each stage at a time. Yeah, you know me, Ross, that's not my style. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> One day I might get you with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One day. <laughs>so some uh, really fantastic insight there from from Danny Kerry into the uh, mechanics behind the squad selection uh, for his England World Cup squad um really difficult job for him to pick a squad for such a big tournament having only been in charge for 8 weeks um the stuff i was really interested in was around um Jack Waller and Zach Wallace's selections and how it's not a case of them being picked as um, an experience gathering trip for tournaments in the future but actually that they're both there on merit because of how well they've performed um, in training and matches uh, since Danny's been in charge. Um, I think that's a really really positive sign and um, I think it's really great that uh, he's sort of got the courage of his convictions to uh, to throw those players in at the deep end almost and, and sort of say you've impressed me in training now impress me in a, in a big tournament and uh, a lot of coaches might not have had the guts to do that so fantastic to see Danny sort of um, you know willing to willing to do that and, and give these boys a chance um, there's also really interesting um, the stuff about um, China and how they don't know anything about China so uh, China have obviously done a very good job of staying off the grid and staying under the radar in terms of uh, teams getting uh, footage of them and doing their homework on them. Um, so the the idea around self-solving um, problems, the players solving problems themselves during the game and on the pitch is um, is a really fascinating one. It's not um, not a particularly new thing in terms of being associated with Danny Kerry. Um, we all know about the famous Thinking Thursday sessions he used to run with the Great Britain women, which um, stood them in massively good stead um, when it came to the crunch in big tournaments. And I would imagine... Knowing Danny, he has implemented something similar um, in the uh, men's squad. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that um, them being equipped or certainly um, in the early stages of being equipped to deal with these problems and to, as he says, uh, self-solve them on the pitch, on the fly. Um, you know, uh, Australia and Ireland, as I've said earlier, will both be really, really tough games for England. But um, it's a really exciting tournament, and uh, having heard Danny speak and and uh, you know listen to sort of the passion and the excitement in his voice, um, yeah, it should be a great tournament for for England fans to watch. So uh, yeah, keep your eyes on that. 
Um, and uh, yeah, let's hope the boys um, get through the first round, um, get through to the quarterfinals, and then they reset their goals and, and who knows, maybe get themselves on the podium as well. It's now time to reveal the answer to today's Who Am I quiz. Uh, just to remind you, the three clues were I started my club career at Belper Hockey Club and have won 146 international caps since making my debut in 2013. I have an economics degree from the University of Sheffield and outside of hockey, I work as a management accountant at DEFRA. Clue number three... I have a European gold medal from 2015. I won the player of the tournament at the same competition in 2017. And I also have a, an Olympic gold medal from 2016 in Rio, where I scored the winner in the shootout in the final. Uh, the last clue probably did the trick if you hadn't got it by then. It is, of course, the magnificent Holly Pern Webb. Well done if you got that. Another one next week. Before I get into this week's hockey nicknames, um, I just thought I'd give you a quick UEA Dave update. Uh, Regular listeners will remember UEA Dave is a player at Halston Magpies, um, whose nickname is based around the fact that he's called Dave and that he goes to UEA. Anyway, uh, this weekend I was delighted to go onto Twitter to find out that UEA Dave was on the score sheet as Halston Magpies beat Bedford 5-4. A super win for the Magpies and uh, really great to see uh, one of my favourite players who I've never seen play and never met, UEA Dave, tearing it up on the field. Keep it going, UEA Dave. Right, with the UEA Dave update done... It's time to squeeze in a couple of nicknames before we go. Nicknames are bad names. So I think this will probably be the last week of the uh, the nicknames feature. Um, seem to have dried up a little bit after the initial deluge. Um, so the first one this week is from a Twitter user called at Mr Pete Nine. Uh, no information in the bio, so absolutely no idea who they are. Anyway, they got in touch to say that one of their teammates um, was once responsible for destroying all the food and all-you-can-eat Chinese, so they're now known as Vampire. Yep, that's right, Vampire the Buffet Slayer. Lovely stuff. They don't get better, do they? Um, One more. Uh, Leanne Grimsley got in touch to tell me that when she was playing for Buckingham, the opposition's promotional flyer referred to Buckingham as the Donkey Pigs. Um, I've never seen that as a nickname for Buckingham. I've checked with people that play there. They've never heard it either. Um, Yeah, so being described as the Donkey Pigs, a bit harsh, I thought. Um, They're a very talented and beautiful bunch, so there's no need for that. Um, To Leanne's eternal credit, she has not named and shamed the club that was responsible. But, uh, yeah, being uh, dubbed the the Donkey Pigs, um, not very nice, really. Um, So there you have it. That's just about all we have time for this week. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, As I always say, I really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch, um, 
I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter as at the top of the D. And uh, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, an exciting development. I've also set up a brand new Top of the D Facebook page. So just have a search for the Top of the D on Facebook and uh, give us a like and a follow and there'll be plenty of content on there. And uh, if that's not enough for you, all my written content appears on my website, which is thetopofthed.com. Uh, Thanks again for your company. Uh, Like, share and subscribe. Leave a review on iTunes. Tell your friends. um, Get the podcast uh, shared as much as you can across the hockey family. And uh, there'll be another episode out next week. (laughs) 